annuity of practice daily. How to keep the discipline going, to keep the practice going so it doesn't collapse on itself. Over years and years of doing it, it has its own flow in my life of being intense and working and then almost disappearing entirely and coming back. A way to keep it more constant. You've been practicing for a long time. A long time. A long time. A little bit. A long time. A little bit a long time. Well, you know, I think one of the blessings of coming together as we're doing today, where there are people who are just beginning meditation and people who've been meditating a long time, is that we all have so much to learn from one another. There's something very powerful about someone coming to the practice for the first time. It's like they they bring a mind that is so fresh, so unexperienced. There's so much possibility in that mind. And I think that's what you're talking about, is that over time, for those of us that have been practicing a long time, there can become a sameness, a repetitiveness, almost like a dullness through repetition that we lose when we lose that mind of the beginner. Shunru Suzuki spoke about the beginner's mind. And so, how is it that we can keep a vibrant, dynamic, effervescent practice going through the long haul, you know, because I think that the fruits of meditation arise in our willingness to be with the unfolding of the practice over time and through different circumstances. Certainly, you know, at the end of the retreat, we'll have an opportunity to explore ways together how we can support one another and how we can keep uh, exactly what you're saying, a sense of buoyancy in the practice over the long haul. What I find has really helped me is to be sure that I, it's one of the things I love about Hawaii, coming is that my refuge in nature has become so deep and so comforting and when I walk in these trees and you know in, in this beautiful place I'm reminded of the blessing of a still mind because nature is reminding me of the stillness that's possible within me, irrespective of the circumstances that I find myself in. And so I take refuge in nature a lot here. You know, I'm a avid student of Tai Chi these days, which is new for me. And I go to the beach every evening in Purko and I do Tai Chi at the water. And just open to the sounds, as we do here, and open to the smells, and open to just the beauty of the ocean and the stars and the full moon as it is at the moment and allow it to remind me of what is most important. Which is not about distancing myself from life, it's about going to the heart of life. But I feel we cannot go to the heart of life if our minds are, are frantic and disturbed and caught up all the time in, in the busyness. And so, what I do is I use nature to fortify 
me and to remind me of what is most important. I've also been very blessed by meeting some deeply inspiring people on this island. I mean, it's why I moved here. You know, I didn't even go back to Massachusetts. I just fell in love with this place and my friends packed up my home, sold my home, shipped, you know. It, it was like, it was that important for me to be here. You know, that's what I'm trying to say, is that it was that important for me to, to be in a place that felt deeply comforting and healing. And I gave up everything. I mean, you know, Kathleen and Peter were Brian Lies, the, the first people I met when I came in, the only people I knew on the islands, you know, seven months ago. And I share that because I feel like who we associate with, who, I mean, we need to, yeah, I feel to open to everybody, of course, in life. I mean, I don't think we exclude anybody from our hearts, but I think that, there, that we need the support of one another. That's why this is such a precious day that we can remind one another that we are not alone on this journey, that we need to hold one another's hands and hearts as we journey towards truth, because the world is too crazy, at least for me, to do it on my own. And so, you know, I know there are regular sitting, there's a regular sitting group here that happens. To gravitate to places where people come together to be inward, and to support one another to begin with is also very precious, you know. I love going to the, what do you call the Hawaiian healing places? Heiau? Heiau. Yeah, Heiau. I love going to the Heiaus because there's a sense of the ancestry there and the sense of, it's not just us here, it's like, you know, we are just the tip of you know, continuity through the eons of people who, who are concerned about life and who, who will not rest until we know what it means to love. I will not rest until I know what it means to love deeply. And to be uncompromising in that, you know? When, you know, if there's something that feels really important, even if it's, if it's about where I sleep or what I eat or who I'm with or how I spend my day, it's like I won't sacrifice myself to the expedient. I will, I will, with love and respect, affirm that I will make choices that are healing and that will give me as much time on this planet as possible so that I can do the healing work and know what it means to love. And we need each other. If it's physically, if it's in books, if it's in tapes, just a reminder, I mean, I go to church a lot because there's a lot of comfort I get going to church, being with people who are worshiping and celebrating and aspiring to live for life that is an imitation of Christ's life. That's very inspiring for me. And so, you know, it, it, it is very important for me that that I make choices that hold my resolve to be awakened and to love as firmly as possible. And as far as the practice itself is concerned, 
for me, it's just a question of doing it, you know. And to not, you know, and to try and be fresh about it, you know, instead of just sitting down and going straight to the breath in the same old way I've done a hundred thousand times before. You know, I might sit and just look, you know, at this beautiful lay here with these, with these pink flowers and just really take it in because I've never sat with a lay at my knee before. And that's fresh, you know, and to try and bring that then inwards and just look as though I've never watched a breath before. And just, just the ecstasy of, you know, when, when that um, Sultan of Gaza, you know, heard that music and he was so ecstatic. It's like if the awareness is so alive and so vibrant and present, there's an ecstasy in watching the ending of a breath. Just the ending of a breath. For me, you know, it doesn't happen too often for gratefully. But it's possible, and I don't. <coughs> I will not forget what's possible, because in the mundane we need to remember those times, because those are the times that are true. I'm sure there are many people that can contribute to this. Something you said this morning woke me up to a bit of a surprise. Uh, I'm probably in the most intense time of change in my life. And my practice has really risen to meet that. But what, something you said made me realize that in the past I've been using busyness as an excuse not to practice, not that it's kept me from practicing. And something about having the practice be so strong in this really um, same time <coughs> and it's a wonderful lesson because it will probably come up again. For me, the collusion with busyness runs so deep, so deep. And, you know, people fly to the moon and jump off, you know. A couple of weeks ago, I jumped out of a lava tube at the, at the city of refuge. It was like, it's quite high. <laughs> you know, jumped out into the ocean, and it, it was great. These guys saw a video of it, and uh, but you know, and I was scared, and I and that, but it's nothing like when I'm getting revved up to stop and to not move away from, but sink into it and just feel it and just. So often it's like the busyness is a cover-up. You know, like you know, you were saying about dozing off. It's like it's the same thing. You know, these movements of mind towards what the Buddha called greed, hatred, and delusion are just are just the impulse, the human impulse of a of an unawakened mind is is you know to push away, to pull towards, or to get confused. You were talking about confusion. Busyness is an aversion. It's a way of not dealing with something, you know. So the Buddha said, we've, we've been living and dying, you know. We've all been mothers and sisters and brothers to one another, countless times and shed all these tears. It's like, I take that very seriously, you know. 
mean, I'm not a, like a devotee of the written word, you know, this is the truth sort of thing. But it's like, I mean, I've been gifted with the privilege of being alive today. And I really feel more deeply than ever, certainly, that I will not squander the opportunity to look at the ways that I remove myself from what is true. This is primary, you know. And for, I mean, you know, for a lot of the meditation, I used to think busyness, well, you know, it was something that sort of happened. It was sort of outside of the journey. You know, the journey is towards holiness and, you know, enlightenment and nirvana and that. And, but I see that, for me, the busyness is integral to the journey because it's the template on which the seeds of freedom are beginning to be fertilized as I'm willing to go into it. So, you know, like, you know, say for example, Kathleen and Peter, you know, here creating this wonderful place. How is it at the times when three people, you know, three different guests are arriving at the same time and they all have their different needs? How, yeah, how in that moment, how in that moment is it for you, you know? Which direction does your heart and mind go in that particular moment? And how do you support each other? I mean, what a blessing that you guys both are committed as you are to the practice, creating this exquisite place. You know, where does the mind go, you know, in that moment? And, I mean, that is, that's where awakening is, you know. I mean, it's so easy to postpone it to mountaintops and monasteries and stuff like that. It's here, you know, and that's why I really feel passionate about this issue. And when you were saying what you did, it's like I got cold shivers all over, you know, because that's exactly how it is for me too. It's like um, busyness is the compost out of which we're going to be free. It's integral. And there's something about having the strength of practice to meet that though. Because if your practice isn't there, then the business, busyness, your practice isn't gonna meet the busyness. You know what I mean, I think that's what, then it becomes easy to make an excuse to, to for the busyness to keep you from practicing. Well, we need to be careful because, you know, balance, another thing that I've done is get very committed and decide that I was going to sit for four hours a day and then finally it just crashes and I don't sit for six months because it's been created such a, so much created more stress than it created uh, peace. But it's, it's interesting because I've been sitting for a long time too and it seems like all the sitting has now arrived at this place of Insanity. I mean, that's a label, but it's like it's when it's paid off. It's paying off because I've never been able to be so present in uh, in a condition that I would never. I would be so far out of work. You know, but it's mm. totally the practice. That's that's wonderful. And. Say being around people, which Richard is a fellow traveler. So, 
Me, I'm very busy practicing. I'm very busy meditating. <laughs> you know, sometime, and this is just, I just offer it if this has any meaning, then it has meaning. But I think that for those of us who've been sitting a long time and are as sincere as you are, as you clearly are, that there comes a time when we have to trust that the form is not the most important thing and that the duration of time that we sit is not the most important thing. That in the end, all of the forms and all of the methods and all of the noting, all of that we have to let go of because even in the most subtle way we become attached to the forms and that attachment keeps us on the wheel. Now we need them. We need these forms, you know, they are helpful. But our relationship with them as the journey unfolds has to become extremely sensitive because those very forms can become their own prison, you know. And so it might be perhaps, and I don't know, you know, we've not met before, but it might be that this is a time to deeply trust that the sincerity of all the effort that you put into what you've done over all these years as you say, is rushing forward to hold you. And now is the time just to rest in that momentum and trust that whatever you do, the most important thing is to be present I, 24 I, hours a day. I know exactly what it is. Yeah. That's, that's part of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that for many of us, particularly in the West, who have been so inspired by these ancient teachings, that what we also do is we bring to them um, a lot of the systems and patterns of thought in which we've been schooled in the West. And so, you know, we got to start meditating, we got to be the best meditator. You know, it's like I was a CPA, you know, for my first 20 years. And then it was like, you know, so all those skills are brought to the meditation. And you know, do you know what happens for me if I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed and stuff? The first nightmares I have are the nightmares of having to record every 10 minutes of my time on my timesheet, like working on petty cash, working on inventory, you know, balancing the balance sheet. Had to record every 10 minutes because we then submitted that to the computer and it was charged to the clients. And if we didn't have enough chargeable time, we were in trouble or our salary was reduced. And the moment I'm feeling like particularly stressed, like just in my everyday life, I go back to that dream. That's the dream, my CPA dream. Now I'm not knocking CPAs because we need them, but for me it was like, you know, I can bring that same zealousness to the practice, you know. And so it's just a reminder that these patterns run really deep. I, um, I was wondering if you'd speak a little bit more about you mentioned Kosovo and other things that are disturbing in your life and how to, I don't know, come to acceptance or whatever you were saying, just how do you do that? 
well, it's how we all do it. You know, I feel like we need to be sure to open up these questions. How I, you know, it, for me, it's becoming simple, which is not to say that these are easy questions. I mean, that's such an important question because, you know, it's so easy for us to think, you know, we're meditators and we go off into isolation and we disconnect. And, you know, there are times to go on retreat as we're doing. And there are times when we need to just hold ourselves for whatever reason, you know, we're coming apart, we're brokenhearted or whatever. I mean, those are times when we need to be in a womb and be protected. But I think that for me, it's also very important to, to have the capacity of heart and mind to feel the suffering of the world. And I think I know that the practice has helped me. You know, it's like if, if I'm sitting and there's a pain in my knee, it's like, can I just allow that to be there and just open to that pain without immediately shifting or panicking or getting angry with it or like, you know, tangling with it? just allow it to be and just be willing to feel how painful that is the heat the tingling the stabbing the throbbing everything it's the same with possible it's like can I and and with the knee it's like if I'm willing to be with it I can make a decision a clarity a decision of clarity is birthed from my willingness just to be there it might be I need to move so or I decide, you know, I'm going to go and walk outside. But that is a decision that's come out of balance, from feeling the situation, from being willing to be present. So I'm responding to it rather than reacting. Same with Kasov. It's like, you know, like I went swimming with the dolphins a couple of weeks ago, also at the city of refuge. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And these dolphins just came in. I was there swimming and they came in, there were 30 of them, and they, was, they were spinning and they were mating and they were touching me and they were zooming up and leaping out the water and coming down. It was like we were the happiest guys, you know? Well, on the bank, this Hawaiian woman and a couple of other people started screaming at us. They were so angry. They told us that we were molesting the dolphins, that how dare we, and da, da da and we came out and they gave us these pamphlets with the most shocking pictures on, and sort of completely destroyed the situation for us. And I think that the reason I bring that up is because if, if we're with a difficult situation, and we're willing to really hang in there and be with it as we are in the meditation practice. Be with the be with the doziness, you know. Be with the feeling of a broken heart. Then, a good response, a skillful response, a workable response, a loving response, birds itself, you know. And we can then move on with how how we need to. If we react impulsively, nobody is served. Now those people could have come to us in an altogether different way. They must love the dolphins because they feel so passionately about it. 
And if they come to us and say, oh, you know, you need to be careful, you know, when you're with them, and then we could have dialogued, and I could have said, well, you know, they have the whole ocean. If they don't want to be with me, they can just leave, you know. Um, but they were like, you know, telling us we're going to get fined $50,000, they're getting the police, the, you know, and it was just, it was such a difficult moment, you know. And so, Kosovo, have we really felt how heartbreaking that is, you know? Have I really, really felt it and been willing to rest with that? And out of that, and I don't think there's any response I can give, but it's just what feels most trustworthy is our willingness to feel, you know? Somebody's diagnosed with cancer, you know? Can I feel within myself my own fear of my mortality, my own stuff, so that I can deal with that and not take that to somebody else's diagnosis, you know? And that's why I feel that the meditation practice is not a personal journey. We're doing it for each other. Because as we become more responsive to life and less reactive, I feel like we're connecting with one another. And so the work that you're doing, you're doing for all of us. And the work that I'm doing, and Kathleen's doing, and Rich is doing, is, is work for one another, you know. I mean, I think we're that intimate. And so as we become more responsive to life and less reactive, we're healing the world today, here. And we can come back to that more and probably will as the day unfolds. Is anybody having any difficulty with the meditation practice? I'm curious in the walking, your hands, I felt um, I, I, I forgot to tell you, you're supposed to leave your hands here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Is there any, you know, preferable way to hold them or it doesn't matter? Or? Yeah, you're supposed to have like one hand <laughs> above your head and then this hand is like a, a minesweeper. <laughs> you know, and so you do, what, can you show us that? <laughs> the most important thing is that you be as comfortable as possible. So, you know, just, you know, some people, like, you know, in those who've done Zen practice, yeah, you know, have a, you know, a specific way of holding the hands like this, you know, some people like to have their hands behind their back. I would just say wherever it feels comfortable, just as long as you're aware of, of, of the body. You know, basically we are, we are using the body as a medium for schooling the mind to be more present. So wherever your hands are, the question is, are you aware of where your hands are? Are, are we awake to what's happening in the body? That's the question. It doesn't matter where the hands are. I noticed when you were giving your instructions uh, to open the awareness, when we did practice, um, 
I can't There was so much all of a sudden to be aware of, going beyond the breath or just the sensations in the body, uh, to sounds and to um, thinking and to feeling uh, emotions. Um, that I started to judge myself. I, I, I started to be aware of how much I was judging. Am I doing this right? You know that sort of idea. Am I doing this right? Now where am I? So. <clears throat> I have to say that I was aware that I was doing that. And, uh, and then I just remembered uh, to use the breath to, if I got lost in all of that, to come back to the breath. Um, and then there are times in my everyday life where I'm just naturally kind of noting uh, or just aware of moments coming and going, whether it's sounds or uh, thoughts or sensations. So I, I think there's something about efforting or, you know, what's the right balance of concentration and effort and ease that I, I want to hear mm. you speak a little bit about. Does anybody have a response to Kathleen? <clears throat> You're not alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it changes in each moment. It's a balance. I don't think you maybe pass through that point that effort and ease are in balance, but it's hard to stay right there. You're just kind of searching back and forth all the time. And, and it's not to be there, it's to be noticing where you are. That's what I find. Like it's hard for me to be. You know, oh, there it is. Whoops, now I'm over here. Did you ever see that movie, um, uh, oh, I've forgotten it. Um, it's an old movie. Oh, no, I've completely got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a house. It's a real famous movie about the big mansion. And the title of the movie is The Name of the Mansion. You know? It's like a 40s or 50s. It'll come to me later. Anyway, the beginning of the movie, the camera goes up this road. So it's going up this road, and there are all these trees, and it's sort of dark, and it's a bit gloomy, and and um, and it's kind of like meditation. The beginning of that movie, because it's like you just see, you know, things are just going by, and there's like, you know, a wisp and a tree and some grass and rock and it's just like traveling up the road and that's kind of what meditation is like it's like you know it doesn't stop and look at anything it doesn't focus on anything it's just like traveling through and so you know i think you're right i think that we need just enough effort to be present and if our effort gets too great then we get stuck again and i think it's what you were saying earlier on about making too much effort. You know, it's almost like we have to make an effort, especially in the beginning, to begin to redirect our lives. But then, then we need to come to a place of trust and faith where we can begin to let go of the effort and trust, that, trust the integrity of our intention 
but be willing to come back with energy if we get too lost. And so the whole journey also becomes a play of energy and faith. You know, it's really beautiful because we need the energy, but the energy itself can also be um, uh, can be unbalancing if it's if it if it's not. Um, If there's too much greed, hatred, or delusion accompanying the energy. Was that clear? It didn't sound very clear. <laughs> <laughs> it was helpful, thank you. Yeah. Peter will not forget the name of the book. <laughs> the walking meditation? Crunch. Yeah? <laughs> <Crunch>. <laughs> Were you able to just be with the steps? Yeah? yeah. So I like to take that in a perfect state of meditation or consciousness that we would be sort of feeling like we're floating in the swell, like an ocean swell, that we feel. Then all encompassing feel. You know, I don't think we need to have any agenda about how it should or shouldn't be, you know. I think that that how it's gonna be is how it's gonna be. And just our willingness to be present with whatever arises is the essence of meditation and we have to let go of every preconception because if there's one thing I know is that every idea that I've had about how this is going to unfold has been worth absolutely nothing. <laughs> In fact, I've done nothing but stumble over my, my sort of infrastructure that I built of how my own particular journey is and so it's like to be radically present is an incredible thing in a world where we are constantly trying to ensure ourselves, anticipate, project, you know, all of that, cover our bases. To be so radically present as the only place of security that there is, it flies in the face of everything that we've been taught, and yet it's the for me, I sense it's the only direction in which I'm going to be free. Is to go into each moment naked and be willing to populate that moment totally. And everything that flows from that is going to be the most trustworthy it can be. And if I want to cover my bases and feel safe and just in case and what if and all of that, I'm in trouble. Because my mind's trying to create the future and the future never turns out the way my mind would like. So it's just now, now, now. And my experience of being with people who are, who really inspire me and who are awake to whatever degree is that when they're with you, 
they are totally with you and it's like you're the most special person in the world. It's like you've never been heard the way they hearing you and you've never been responded to the way they respond to you. And then they turn their attention and totally here, totally yours, and then there, and there, and there. Now where that's hard is that, you know, when I'm with you and I shift there, then it's like, Oh, but what about me? It's like, da, 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 da. You, know, you know, that's why there's so much stuff around these gurus and that, is that you feel special and then you want to be special all the time. But they just been total, total, total. And that's hard for us because we can't be total, total, total. We want them to be like we are. It's like, you know, I meet Diane and I love Diane. It's like, you know, hmm, you know, let's sort of, you know, let's mesh a little bit, you know, but then, you know, the end just moves on and it's like, you know, and yet that's just, you know, that's when we suffer, you know, so how is it that we can just be totally alive to whatever life is presenting moment to moment? I think that's the only security there is. It's pretty radical, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't it like the story you just said about Shams and yes. he's saying to him um, about the ocean and the why do you want me all the time? Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and then Shams says, stop this wanting. He yeah. says, I am your deepest being. In other words, don't look for yourself in me because who I am is within yourself and within everybody. You know, it's kind of like we were talking earlier about, um, you know, the work that you're doing is healing all of us. You know, because we are all that intimate with each other. We are. I mean, you know, it's just not a, it's not maybe. It's like, and so he's saying, don't look outside of yourself. What you're so attracted to in me is within you. You know? And then he says, like, this other part, I love this poem so much. Tell me to shut up if I'm going on too much about it. He says, he says, how long will this unconsciousness go on? You fill yourself with the sharp pain of love rather than its fulfillment, which means that you've tasted love and it's so intoxicating and then the mind inclines somewhere else and then that love's no longer there and it's so painful. That's the sharp pain of love rather than the fulfillment where that love is universal, where you bring yourself to everybody with that love. So it's almost like I open to you and there's great love there and then I move on to Chip and, and then I feel disconnected from, from you and it's, it's so painful, do you know? And rather than just know that that, that love is universal, it is everywhere. And so to be totally, fully awake wherever we are, moment to moment, there will be no sharp pain of love because every moment will be full unto itself, you know? And that's the fulfillment of love. Imagine having a teacher like Shams, eh? <laughs> I never met Shams in Tabriz. <laughs> I, I, what your question just brought up, it's fine to be comfortable with the way, this is what I'm finding in my life, is 
But when the wave beats the shore and crashes, you've got to be comfortable with that, too. <laughs> yeah. And that's the difference. Because I think that's what's taken me so long, is really wanting to be in that comfort of the, of the swell and not be willing to be there for the rest of the way. Well, I think it's easy to meditate when everything's going well. Yeah, it's smooth, you know. I mean, it's, it's easy to be a great meditator, you know. But I think that, you know, I don't appear macho about this, but I really do think that, that, you know, we're not really meditating until we're willing to go into the heart of the fire and be there, really be there, you know, in the best way that we can and in the most sincere way that we can. I think that that's really when we're flirting with enormous possibility. And that the easy times are great, we need them and we need as much of them as possible. So it's not to say, oh God, this is too easy, I need some suffering. <laughs> <laughs> to use those times not to get complacent, but to strengthen the mind and the heart so that when we go back into the fire, that um, we have the resources to do that. Um, We will have further opportunity for discussion later, but I want to invite if there's any pressing matter that you'd like to bring forward now, we must of course deal with that. invite you, if you would, to bring your food. That was a great discussion. Um, as you mentioned, Kathleen, you know, we are beginning to open up. So we've opened up to sensations in the body and we've begun to open up to emotions. We are opening up to the sensations of the breathing and to sounds. And so we now, in the meal, I, I want to really invite you to extend the mindfulness, the awareness into this eating time. Because, you know, there are six sensors, there are six ways in which we experience the world. Just six, you know. And I'm going to try and remember all six and you fill in the blanks, please. But with our ears, we hear. So in meditation, we have already open to hearing. With our bodies, we feel we have sensations in our bodies. So there's two. With our eyes, we see. So that's the third thing. We see through our eyes. Then there are, there's the mind, which
which is the fourth one, the thoughts, the emotions, the memories, all of those are the mind and the objects of mind. So we open the meditation to include those two, and we've done a little bit of that also. Five and six, tasting and smelling. So I want to invite you in a, in a very serious way to us now join together and bring those two sense doors. You know, the Buddha in probably his most succinct teaching said, simply in this way. He said, in the seeing, there is just what is seen. So, for example, in this moment, if, if we look here, in the seeing, there is just what is seen. There's no words, no anthurium, no pink, no beautiful. There is just what is seen. See if you can just see. There's just color and just form. Let the words go. Just be. In the seeing, there is just what is seen. Now if you could close your eyes for a moment and just be inward. Just be aware of the sensations in the body. The Buddha and said, in the feeling there is just what is felt. Just sensations, not words, not comments. The truth is that there is just what is felt. hearing there is just what is heard. Just sounds. Not birds. Not scratching. That's all extra. Just sounds arising, passing away. Now if you would, just take a deep breath and just be with how you're feeling. Just, how, is there a feeling? Are you feeling hungry maybe? Or impatient? Or happy? Or inspired? We're on the fourth sense door now. Just being aware of the mind, the objects of mind. Maybe a thought comes and fleets away. few minutes we'll open to tasting. In the tasting there is just what is tasted, nothing more. And we'll bring bare attention to the experience of tasting. And we'll bring bare attention to the experience of smelling. Not a nice smell, a horrible smell, this, that, the other, just smelling. 
That's it. In those six ways, that is the distillation and the essence of life. These are the only ways in which we can experience what happens moment to moment as we go about our days. invite you to open your eyes and if you could bring your food to the circle and maybe if we just gathered around the circle together with our food between us. Thich Nhat Hanh, I know many of you know him, it's a wonderful Vietnamese monk who um, teaches all over the world. He has centers on the mainland and in uh, Vietnam and also in France and he actually his community is in the process of beginning a center on this island in Kohala on the Bond estate and um, hopefully in the next years he might visit this, this island and, uh, this is a grace that he he says which has been slightly changed and I'd like to um, invite you, if you feel comfortable, to to do this in a sort of just around and round the circle. If <coughs> each of us just does a line of the grace and it just moves around, he's his teaching for those of you who don't know him is so foundationed in in the interconnection both between people and between people and the earth and the the earth and the animals and the environment. Um, uh, he's one of the most inspiring men I've ever met, and so um, like to to invite you to do that as as a way of moving into a meal together. After we've done the grace, um, let's just take our food and go to a quiet place and. You may want to really experiment with bringing those last two senses to the eating of the lunch. Just being with the taste and see how difficult it is, certainly for me, to just allow the taste to arise without inclining into the next bite, without inclining towards more salt, less salt, could have been better, I wish I had like <laughs> Kathleen's quiche rather than my, you know, tofu's, well, whatever, you know. And also the smells, you know, just, just, just see how, how difficult it is to be totally wholly present just with smelling without adding a single word to the experience. And in this way, we've opened to really all of the senses together here. This is like the whole teaching of the Buddha in, in, in a morning here. So we'll just be enriching that as the rest of our day unfolds together. I'd like to ask for a gong person again, please, to do the gong <coughs> after the meal. Is there a volunteer? Looks like we are. Hey. <laughs> oh, but you already rang the gong once. <laughs> Nobody else. Yeah, it's an experience that should be shared. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, let's say if you would gone at what is the time? Eight. 
okay, why don't we say at 2.15. So, you know, there's going to be a time, you know, of course, to use in, in whatever way you wish, and then we'll come together at 2.15, and then we'll go through with sitting and walking and discussion and whatever other mischief we meant to get up to, and we'll close at 5. Okay? So, would you like to start, Kathy? We'll just perhaps move around that way, just a line at a time. This food is the gift of the universe. The earth, the sky, and much hard work. May we live our lives in a way that is worthy of this food. May we transform all unskillful states of mind, especially greed, anger, confusion, and doubt. We accept this food for the realization of the way of understanding, love, and forgiveness. We give thanks for the blessing of friendship and community. This food is a gift of the universe. The earth, the sky, and much hard work. May we live our lives in a way that is worthy of this food. May we transform all unskilled states of mind, especially anger, confusion, and doubt. We accept this food for the realization <coughs> of the way of understanding, love, and forgiveness. We give thanks for the blessings of friendship and community. This food is a gift of the universe. The earth, the sky, and much hard work. May we live our lives in a way that is worthy of this food. May we transform all unskillful states of mind, especially greed. Anger, confusion, and doubt. We accept this food for the realization of the way of understanding, love, and forgiveness. We give thanks for the blessing of friendship and community. This food is a gift of the universe. The earth, the sky for the last time, and much hard work. May we live our lives in a way that is worthy of this food. May we transform all unskillful states of mind, especially greed, anger, and doubt. We accept this food for the realization of the way of understanding, love, and forgiveness. We give thanks for the blessings of friendship and community. Usually the most difficult time of the day on retreat, after the meal, everybody's got a tummy full of food. So I'd like to invite you, if you wish, to sort of do some stretches and some movements together, uh, just as a way of kind of moving some energy, because so often after lunch, uh, it's easy just to start sort of dozing off a bit. So, yeah, we could do this. 
Maybe we move the oasis in the middle of the desert for the moment. And I, in the last months, have been taught these passive Tai Chi stretches. So should we do those together? And let's fill this space up. And nice if we can sort of have some space around us. So let's really populate the geography really well here. Why don't we just do it together? <laughs> then there'll be questions, maybe. Okay. So it's 2.30 now. We're going to end at 5 o'clock. And more or less, who knows what'll happen, but probably it'll look something like a period of meditation now, then a walking meditation, and then perhaps a period of discussion and then a closing with a loving-kindness meditation. And uh, at that point, perhaps we can introduce ourselves to one another if you would like to do that. And as I say, we'll finish at uh, 5 o'clock. Are there any... <coughs> when Zeke brought my lunch to me, which is a very noble thing, he said what a lovely day it was, and I was just reminded of this poem, which I'm sure you all know, but just which just speaks to this day so much, I thought. I'd, I'd just like to, to say it. It's E.E. E. Cummings. He says, I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. For the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today. And this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and love and swings and of the gay great happening illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt, unimaginable, you. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. again I invite you to take a sitting position that is comfortable for you. 
perhaps is particularly important after luncheon in the heat of the afternoon to give attention to your posture perhaps holding it a little more firmly a little more vigorously than before helps the mind be alert more awake sitting posture for a few moments, breathing through any areas where there perhaps is some holding, some tightness, just resting here together this afternoon. And then once again, moving awareness as you feel ready to the experience of breathing. Being as aware as possible of the tone and the feeling, the texture of every breath. As Rumi says, being aware of the tiniest particular. It may be that there are some breaths when it's possible to be present through the entirety of that particular breath. Beginning, the middle, the ending. Being aware of the space, if there is one, between the breaths. And then the moment the breath starts leaving or entering again. Is it possible to be present with each breath as if it was your first and as if it was your last? Using the breath as an anchor, as a tool for collecting and gathering, developing concentration and settlement of mind. And from this anchor, from this resting place, opening up to the other aspects of life as they manifest in every moment. Being aware of sounds, being aware of sensations in the body, being aware of thoughts that come and go, the arising and passing away of emotions. Being aware of any smell that passes by, just its birth and its death, gone. Maybe even a taste in your mouth from time to time. Opening without discrimination to the tapestry of light, excluding nothing, opening to everything. 
may wish to use a soft note to help you be present with what is occurring. Hearing, smelling, tasting, naming the emotion if you're able to. Tightness, tingling, whatever in the body. Returning to the breath as the anchor, as the stabilizing object. And then opening to all of life with that quality of mind that doesn't judge, that doesn't change, that doesn't add words, no concepts, just allowing life to happen and being fully, gently, and wholeheartedly present with the truth of what is occurring moment to moment. of the complete meditation instructions. That the walking meditation is just what links what's really important with the sitting. But Thich Nhat Hanh, the guy who, the man who, whose um, grace we, we said today, um, walking meditation is really central to his practice. And if you do a retreat with him, you do a lot of walking meditation, sometimes on your own, the way we're doing it. And sometimes um, he takes you for walks and you just like snake your way through the trees and through the woods. And he, he loves to have children on retreats with him. So often he's surrounded by children and there. These wonderful images that I have and there are many pictures of him with all uh, the children. And this is something that he said about walking meditation. He said, the air is likely to be cool and clean in the early morning or the late evening. No source of energy is more nourishing than pure air. You take in that energy and feel stronger in your body and mind while you practice walking meditation. And when you practice regularly, your life will be gradually transformed. Your movements will become easygoing and you will be more aware of what you are doing. All beings, from near to the far, large and small, from the moon and the stars to the leaves and the caterpillars, will become peaceful as you take your steps. So shall we go and take our steps? And Matt, would somebody please gong the bell? Um, say a quarter to four, please. Thank you very much. Thank you. Go around the circle. <coughs> if you feel comfortable, say your name and perhaps where you come from, just so that the sense of one another as we draw our day to a close here this afternoon. And I'll go first. I'm Gavin and I'm your man in Puerco. I'm Sterling. I'm Onana. 
Diane and Pahoa? Hannah for Big Diane. And Bob from Paradise Park. Do it still like that? to say that I almost know where everybody comes from. <laughs> it's like we're, we're sort of almost from around the island. We're pretty good. <laughs> I've got some neighbors. Well, I must confess that um, I'm not sure which direction to go in. And being a man of many words, I could go in an infinite number of directions. And so I think I'm going to open the, f the circle and just get some sense of how best we can serve one another in the time that's left. It's almost four o'clock. Um, might be nice to spend our last... 20, 15 minutes perhaps doing a loving-kindness meditation together, a forgiveness meditation. But there's a piece of time here that um, is really important, you know, as we, as we bring our day to its conclusion. If there are any loose ends, if there are any ways that you would be better supported by all of us, if there's anything that needs to happen that hasn't happened or be discussed that hasn't been discussed, um, I ask you to come forward so that you can go with a sense of completion with you know, Richard's question about how is it that we can support ourselves, support one another in the practice. Um, there's great wisdom here. There's a lot of experience. There are some of us that are new and some of us that are not so new to the practice. And this is a chance to learn and to hear from one another. So rather than I be the determinant of the direction, I'm going to let you be the determinant of that direction. <sighs> I, I just wanted you to remember what you said in the beginning, um, and I think Paul touched on it, uh, and it was about going within when all the chaos is happening around you, but you put it in really beautiful words. Do you remember what you said? <laughs> it was like, instead of being pulled out, you know, to the right. outside, Right. With everything going around you, right. you go inside. Right. Somehow it, it seems so easy 
to be blown around like a leaf in the wind by the circumstances that come? And how is it that we can stay in the midst of things and have a sense of alignment, a sense of presence, a sense of collection, so that we can be an instrument for peace in the confusion and not someone contributing to the energy of confusion that swirls around. And I think that that is a very brave and courageous juncture when we don't participate, but we don't disconnect either. It's so easy to disconnect, and that's what the Buddha said is the aversion. You know, he said we, we stay on the wheel of samsara with these forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. And hatred is aversion, and if we find ourselves in a situation as you're describing, Diane, and we don't like it, and if we push it away, we actually are contributing to the imbalance. We're just creating more confusion. And it seems like if we can meet that with a sense of inner alignment, inner balance, inner composure and coherence, with mindfulness, and be aware of what's going on, be present so that our response can be one that's coming out of a place of balance and not a place of imbalance, then we're an instrument for transformation rather than a participation, an instrument for participation in what's going on. Does that approximate what I said this morning? Yes. Oh. And the way you say it almost sounds, well, not almost, it does sound like a Tai Chi move where something's coming at you you go with it, right? Uh, <laughs> the way you were describing it. Mm, uh, and then come back around. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My Tai Chi teacher would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gavin, when you got out of the water after playing with the dolphins and the dolphins playing with you, I always said, how did you handle that situation with the, with the woman? Well, fortunately, I was not directly involved in it. I stayed in a bit longer, and the other four got out sooner. And, um, so you were kind of witnessing from a distance? Yeah, I was witnessing from a distance, and I like to think that I may have had the presence, and I probably would have, because I was so touched by those beloved creatures, and so in a place of you know, are feeling very connected. That I like to think that I might have just been able to see both the passion and the anguish out of which this person was coming and being able to respond skillfully. I think by, by, by not escalating the energy. You know, when someone comes to you with a lot of energy, if you meet it with a wall, it's just going to make it worse. So somehow, as you say, to do a Tai Chi move to both let the energy go and acknowledge that this person cares a lot for these creatures and that maybe there can just be a way to, to let go of what's unsavory in the energy and appreciate the passion that's there. I mean, it's hard. I mean, who knows? That's in the, my ideal world. I may have been completely reactive and, you know, told us to go fly a kite or something, you know. <laughs>
And do you know, Peter, it's like, the, you know, our next day long is going to be a day long on forgiveness. And f- forgiveness has been a, a core practice for me for a whole lot of reasons that, that we didn't even go in, that, you know, there's no need to go into now. But it's been such an important practice. And in a situation like that, if I had been reactive with her, say, say I just felt like I was attacked and I reacted, is my next impulse recrimination with myself and feeling ashamed, or do I forgive myself? Just really forgive myself. And forgive her. And forgive her. And it's not to condone what she's doing, but, you know, just not not to escalate. I mean, I, you know, I love what you said, Diane, about the Tai Chi move. It's like, you know, to let that energy go by so that you can come to it and, and make it a, a place for healing, you know. And what better place for healing than the city of refuge, you know. I learned a lot about this in South Africa when I was involved very deeply in the anti-apartheid uh, sort of years there and eventually was, had to leave because of that. And there was so much anger and there was so much fear on, in, from every direction. You know, black people were scared of white people, scared of black people white people scared of one another, the English, the Afrikaans, the government, the students, everybody was angry and fearful. And wherever you went, it was just anger and fearful and blaming and finger pointing. And everybody thought they were right and really believed they were right. The government thought they were doing the right thing. You know, and they were Christians and they were, you know, they felt, you know, really truly, that was the most shocking realization for me was realizing that they didn't know that what they were doing was wrong. I always thought they knew it was wrong, but they did it anyway. They really believed in what they were doing. And we really believed as students in what we were doing. You know, and I eventually left because I would have ended up in jail, which would have helped nobody. And yet, I didn't know what I could do. Because everywhere I turned, there was conflict and reaction. Everywhere. Even among the students, you know, we fight among ourselves, you know. How best are we going to do this protest or that protest? And I think it was one of the things that brought me to the practice. It's just being so confused and disillusioned with all this good intention, how come it wasn't going? I guess it's just a comment. Maybe it's a question. Uh, most of my life I have spent uh, vacillating between going out there and trying to change it and whatever level, and withdrawing and trying to change me. And knowing that the change really happens inside of each individual, and therefore it grows. 
right now I'm looking to implement sort of what you're talking about, or what I think you're talking about, which is to not add to the confusion that's out there. Because there's such a huge amount out there right now. And um, so I'm looking for a way, since I run a business, to sort of take the template of the practice and either put the business on top of it or lay it over the business. I've heard of a lot of that going on uh, to really make the business part of the practice, not only for me, but everyone who's involved in the business as well as and try to spread it out that way. So I'm in one of those go out there phases as opposed to and so I'm, um, I'm throwing it out, one, as a comment, because, I mean, I can see how we are drawn into the confusion and then add to it, just by the frenetic activity it takes to run a business. Um, what I can't quite see, except from my own experience and making sure that I can stay safe, is how to um, expand it into you know, a run business. Perhaps it's in the nature of business that it's not compatible. I, I have, you know, I thought that, but I don't want to believe it. And so far, I'm, I'm working to, if it's not twisted into it, but work. But I don't really believe. I, I think business is So, well, my business already is a lot of it going on just by the way we all relate to each other. Um, people come to work and are glad to be there because they get centered by coming to work and say that. So it's happening. But I want it to happen in, in the deepest way possible. To, to change that. Seems to be businesses competitive in the way structured now. Competitive means whoever runs the fastest gets to the line first. And uh, that being the case, uh, seems to be a real push for freneticness, which seems to me to be difficult to avoid. I mean, I, it's like how to stay calm and in the middle, run as hard as you can. Huh? Yeah, yeah. But you want to end up running as hard as you can. Well, because the other person might be running as hard as they can. Huh? That seems to me to be the me personally, from my experience, that's a dilemma I have experienced there. Yes. If I don't run as hard as I can, somebody else will, then I won't be running anymore. It's true. You're talking about the competition. Inevitably. Yeah. In the way it's structured currently. But I feel in our little business here, <coughs> there is no competition. Because <laughs> It speaks for itself. You know, I think Richard's product speaks for itself. Um, it, it's competitive in that there are other people doing the same thing. But if you are doing your unique, special thing, you can kind of go beyond the competition. Just yeah, I, I, if you carve on a niche, it truly is unique, yeah. of course. You know, I think most businesses get caught in a dilemma of not having a unique niche. Yeah. Or anything, you know, like. Richard does. <laughs> but even you know, even besides that, which is a big part of it, like I mean, today, my first thought when you talk about the confusion of 
how I could help myself. What is to say? Because at my business, people come sort of on their own when they can get there. There's no, like, come show up at 8 o'clock and leave at 5, and everyone is dealt with as an individual. But I thought about saying, everyone come at 9 o'clock and we'll sit together for the first 15 minutes of the day and start our day on. And we've had massage people come up, everybody gets massage. We were going to have a Tai Chi teacher come and everyone took Tai Chi. You know, there's a line between being real fluffy and being, you know, really running a business and having to keep that. And, but these are some of the ideas that I've had, some that have been implemented. We always meditate before we work in the field. We always sit together. But the rest of the people at the factory level of it don't, don't think about that. It's to, to take that energy into it and see what it manifests. I think it will manifest something different than that we are running as fast. Maybe we're running as fast as we can, but we're conscious. <laughs> as we go, that'll change. I think another thing I've observed is, in general, I mean, it can be in business or in personal relationship or friendship or whatever, um, that quality that you kept stressing today in our instructions about being willing to begin again and again has helped me when I've been aware that I'm stuck or caught or lost. Instead of being lost in thought, it's lost in some story or whatever it is. Uh, when I become aware of it, to then let go and come back again to the purpose or the, the heart center and the intention for harmony or the intention for uh, cooperation um, that's what kept coming to me all day. Uh, when I kept, there's this urgency I feel, but is this day going to bring me any closer to uh, liberation from the suffering that I often get caught in? And that little phrase, you know, just be willing to begin again, uh, it seems like it has a lot of power and a lot of wisdom. So I want to carry that back. Sometimes for me, there's words in the way. But just for your example, I was substitute the word business for art or gift. And you have a home focus. That the word business to me sometimes blocks your thinking. So just substitute a different word that's more wonderful. <laughs> art, gift. Well, I, I also think, or it's true for myself, because I know this island, you know, can be pretty competitive. But I, I will, um, um, I will go to a business where I like the people who run it. I mean, I'll go out of my way if I have to, if I'm happy with their service and their smile and our communication. And I won't go back to a business where I haven't felt that. Um, and so I think that that's one thing that if you are conscious that you have going for you, because people will come back. If they're treated well and they feel well about how it all is. Four and a half years ago, I bought a business 
my goal was to create uh, kind of what Richard's talking about. I, I didn't have the expectations of having my crew meditate every morning before we went out to have brothers, but I, I was trying to create a family, uh, an ohana within the business, and it failed miserably. And it's interesting that everybody that I shared that vision with in the business community held me up with and said it's, you can't do that, it's impossible. <coughs> And, uh, but it, and it didn't work. And you know, I'm still somewhat trying to figure out why it didn't And it's ending. We have more transition. But it's a little discouraging that you can't take you know, four or five people and create something like that. that I really love a lot. It's a story about Mahatma Gandhi, and um, he was on a train. He used to periodically ride through India on a train, and the multitudes used to come to the station and be with him. And one day he was at the station, and um, this man came up to him and said, Mahatma, Mahatma, please write something for the villages where I come from. They'll not believe that I saw you. And they won't forgive me if I don't come back with a message from you for them. Please write something so that I can take it home to the village. And so... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.